politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz. And welcome back, fellow American patriots and Minutemen yearning to breathe free air again to the one and only CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back here in the house for Friday, already the end of the week, November 5th. And it is always a good day to fight for liberty. It's a good day to begin creating this new movement that we need that is divorced from the morass of these two parties that are really the same. Uh, We're going to continue the discussion we had from yesterday. Why are red states not really red? Why are supermajority Republican legislatures and governors in states where Biden is so unpopular not doing anything against the worst display of tyranny we've ever had in this country that affects literally our body in the most intimate ways. A shot that basically turns our body into AIDS, which is why they're creating an AIDS drug now. We'll talk about that. Pfizer comes out with their new drug, always on a Friday. Very interesting, just like Merck did a few Fridays ago. And all the conservative media just buys into it. Oh, look at this awesome, awesome Great stuff. Pfizer says 100% effective, 200% effective. Pfizer said they could never be wrong. And here we are, a day after OSHA's insane mandate, and a few days after they're putting the poison into our kids. Still, where is this response? It's not shocking that many blue state voters swept Democrats out of power in favor of Republicans in parts of the country previously thought untouchable to the GOP. Nor is it shocking that Biden responded to the election drubbing by doubling down on the tyrannical policies. I'm not surprised. What is shocking, however, is the lack of GOP resolve and phony conservative movement resolve to neutralize the needle rape mandate, even in the reddest states, other than crying for, to the courts for help. So a lot on the agenda today. We'll get to all this, a special guest, from Wyoming to teach us about why red states aren't red. Um, It's all about vision. There's a lack of vision on the right. That's why you turn to see our podcast. But you also need a good pair of glasses to see. I turn to Rodenstock. It is the gold standard. German company, 144-year-old company. They have over 500 patents. Ronald Reagan himself wore Rodenstock. Their Go-Specs lenses, which is what my wife and I wear, Uh, They use advanced algorithms of more than a million patients measuring 7,000 points in the eye. The result, more energy, no neck strain, and the ability to help you see 40% better. Go to betterspectacles.com slash conservative to schedule a teleoptical appointment. You don't need to leave your house and wear a mask, so you could order it online like we did. And then they're offering my audience an introductory 61% off their Go Specs lenses, plus free handcrafted Rodenstock frames. Never put your glasses away in the drawer, never to be used again. Visit betterspectacles.com slash conservative. Okay, so, you know, we were talking yesterday about why is it that the more Republicans win elections, the worse the country seems to get. Republicans win elections. The Democrats always win the policy battles. And the reason is because Republicans and even self-described conservatives don't really believe in their self-espoused general platitudes. When it comes to the specific policies that will define the generalities of their platitudes and principles, they always buy into the other side. So the reason is... 
basically, here's what happens. It used to be that Republicans never did anything. But it used to be that when Democrats were in charge, they stepped on the gas pedal. And when Republicans are in charge, they wouldn't step on the gas pedal towards tyranny, but they wouldn't reverse it either. And then when they get kicked out, Democrats come back in and pick up where they left. This is what Margaret Thatcher called the one-way ratchet. She, she used it for the Tories and the Labor Party. Labor Party would always do their thing. Tories would just hold it in place, kind of like a ratchet. It could only move in one direction. But now it's even worse than that. It's even when Republicans are in charge, the left, through their control of the culture, through the businesses, the institutions, the bureaucracies, and the courts, they get what's done anyway. And worse than that, because they call the shots from the institutions they control, then they get even the Republicans who are elected, be it president, be it Senate or House, be it governor or state legislature. Well, legislatures don't do anything. They're just out of town. Um... They, they, they go along with it. So everyone's like, Daniel, you come on, you can't tell me there's not a difference between electing a guy like that. I know he might be weak, but he's not evil like the Democrat. But here's what you're missing. The Democrats call their shot with something unexpected. And these Republicans that don't have principles other than an algorithm, something that they could look on their look up, oh, I'm a Republican, I'm supposed to be pro-life. I'm supposed to be pro-gun. Well, what if it's a new issue you never thought about that you have to draw upon deeply held convictions and use perspicacity and prudence to look at new information? For example, Trump was president. Republicans controlled the Senate. Republicans controlled more than half of the state governments when COVID was created, when SARS-CoV-2 was leaked. That was a new issue. That's not guns, taxes, or life. So, you, so you know, if I would have told you in 2016 there's no difference between electing Trump or Hillary, you'd have been, I'm crazy, right? There's no way. That's, that's, that's nuts. Well, what if I would have told you there would be an issue that will arise that is greater in magnitude that affects literally our life, liberty, and property, and health freedom, and it's most literal sense more than anything in the history of the creation of this continent that blows out every traditional algorithm issue you could think of. And truly, it won't matter. If anything, it's sometimes worse because at least when Democrats do it, Republicans are always righteous in the minority and they fight against it. And, and, and at least just the fear of Democrats losing power might serve as some check on their behavior. But instead, it was when Republicans were in power. Yeah, they didn't start it. The left and Bill Gates... And Pfizer and, and UNC Chapel Hill and EcoHealth created it and planned it out, but they went along with it. It's not just that they stopped the bad stuff but didn't roll back the existing bad stuff. No, they catalyzed new bad stuff that was worse than anything we could have imagined. And rinse and repeat, it's going to continue to happen. You know, it's funny. Bill Gates just came out with a statement today or yesterday. He warns about a bioterrorist smallpox pandemic, which could arise if we don't learn the valuable lessons from COVID-19. He is telling you up front what he's working on. I keep telling you, they keep leading us like blind sheep on a nose ring to the next stage. And despite them being proven 
not just wrong, but the perpetrators of the first five steps of the lie, the conservative media falls hook, line, and sinker. So the first intuition of phony conservatives and Republicans is always to buy into the most illogical, immoral, illegal, and inhumane policies of the left until it's too late. And then they militate against it when it's too late. But then they're already on the next stage, which they're still bought into. Hence, lockdowns. Every Republican bought into it. We need to spend trillions of dollars. They bought into it. All the legislation they passed, the PREP Act, absolving Pfizer from liability, all that, the, the worst legislation in the history of the country, in the history of the country, was passed with the GOP Senate. I mean, they didn't have the House by then, but they had the Senate and signed by a Republican president regarded as the most beloved to conservatives of all time. Okay, that's what happened. Then finally, when it was disproven, but it was too late and they already moved away from it and they were onto the mask, they were against lockdowns, but they were for the mask. And then finally, when the mask was kind of waning and it was okay to militate against the mask, but not fully even, because it's still a problem to this day, on airplanes and, and, and you know, doctor's offices where it matters. No one's fighting that, even the best conservatives. Then they're like, the vaccines are the greatest thing alive. I mean, Ben Shapiro yesterday was like, man, I got this lawsuit against the vaccines. He literally has tweets out there, get the vax, you numbskull, back in January. It's 100% effective. They, when it actually matters, not only are they not holding back, they're actually stepping on the gas pedal for the left. So now, finally, that the shots are kind of waning, they're still saying they're the most effective thing around. When according to UK's public health data, it's negative 140% effective. And they're against mandates, but not doing what it takes to block them. Now they're on to the next thing. Merck and Pfizer came out with their new drugs. Okay? Merck and Pfizer came out with their new drugs. So a lot of you are going to be asking me today. I know I'm getting all these emails. Daniel, what's up with Pfizer's new drug? Now, before you know anything, okay, let's say you don't know anything. And God forbid should conservative commentators actually speak to experts and educate themselves about the science and pharmacology of this stuff before they mouth off. <clears throat> Every single conservative thing, oh my God, 89% effective against hospitalization, 100% effective, this is great, we should use it, yay Pfizer. And like, wait a minute. These are the same people that foisted lockdowns and mass upon us. These are the same people that came up with the clot shots that basically destroyed our immune systems, destroyed a generation of people, and didn't even work. The same people that pushed remdesivir, which was a, a bioweapon that caused multi-organ multi failure. And it was out in the open in the data. We're going to trust molnipiravir from Merck and whatever this proxalide, whatever uh, drug from uh, from Pfizer, all of a sudden is pure as the wind-driven snow? Are you freaking kidding me? All the conservative media, Pfizer says, Pfizer, like, no, no even balanced coverage, even from the conservative media. Pathetic. Utterly, uh, utterly pathetic. Really? You don't see the play they're making? Right? 
These same people have killed people by denying ivermectin and nitazoxanide, Singulair, Finifibrate, Ciproheptadine. I mean, I could go on and on. The betadine, nasal rinse, famotidine, aspirin. They denied this. Now suddenly you're going to give them airtime? All these conservative media. Oh, this should be used. We need this. No concern that maybe Pfizer's press release shouldn't be governing our lives and health? Maybe you need a third-party audit? Just maybe it's dangerous, even if it is effective, and it might not quite be as effective as they say it is, and there's plenty of things that are more effective and don't have any of the side effects? Just maybe? So I want to get into this before we have our guest on to get into the drugs. First, our next segment is sponsored by First Leaf, the premier wine club in America. I was never much of a wine guy, but I now got two shipments from them. They always come on time. Basically, when you become a First Leaf Wine Club member, it gets better and better. Um, You fill out a survey online. It's only about five minutes about your taste. So if you're a novice like I was and you're not so familiar with what to get, they'll gear it towards you. They have the greatest prices around because they're everywhere in the world. They're all, they're, they're, in with all the major winemakers, whether it's South American wine, European wine, California wine, Australian wine, they got it all. Um, not only does First Leaf introduce you to a ton of new wine, each box is gets improved based on your um, survey that you fill out. You know, hey, I didn't like this one. And you know what? The funniest thing is they're kind of crazy, but if you don't like something, even if you ordered it, you can get 100% of your money back for the cost of that bottle. Um, and you know, they won't send it to you in their shipment again. So join today. You'll get six bottles of wine for $29.95 and free shipping on your first box. Unbelievable. That's that's like well over a hundred dollar uh value there. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash conservative. That's T-R-Y first leaf F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash conservative, $29.95 free shipping. Folks, we need wine to get us through the day. Um, so this is going to make you very mad. So we already talked about the concept that antivirals have never really worked. I mean, they could work, but they attack the good with the bad. So we talked about the fact that molnipiravir, the Merck drug, is mutagenic. And what that means is it introduces errors into the replication of the virus. So, so molnipiravir is a nucleoside analog. And basically, it replaces one of the nucleus acids with another, like, dummy that causes mistakes in the copy and mutations. And that sounds great, but like we explained, we had Dr. Lynn Finn on, uh, Dr. Urso on. They explained it. It's kind of like chemotherapy. And it, it destroys the good with the bad. And the concern is cancers um, and birth defects in particular. Okay. Now, the Pfizer shot, the Pfizer drug, it might be a little bit less dangerous than the Merck one. It's a protease blocker. Okay, and what that what it does is it blocks the enzyme protease, which the virus uses from our own cells and needs to replicate, almost like a scissors. Okay, so its mechanism of action is a little different. But again, both are hard on your body because they act on a mechanism that your body needs for our own cells, not just the system specific to a virus. 
That's the problem. Whether it's ivermectin, it is oxide, these other things we're using, it doesn't destroy something critical to your body on its way to going after the to 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 gumming up the virus. This does. And we're never going to find out until it's too late. And our concern about Pfizer and Merck's drugs, unlike um, uh, Gilead's drug, right, remdesivir, is that the side effects might not be right away. It might work. Maybe, maybe not. I'm sure they exaggerate. But if it works, it's all the more dangerous because then everyone's going to be like, oh, here it is. It's great. And they're going to use it. And they'll never the birth defects, the cancers, they'll never be traced back to the drugs. Never take this if it comes out. Take the drugs we are taking. Very dangerous. But we're to trust them? And what's interesting is they say, it's not a replacement for the vaccine. How is it not? In their own words, it's a lie. In their own words, we now know, right? Everyone agrees. They say it's, you know, the vaccine protects against serious illness. It absolutely doesn't anymore, but okay, let's indulge that. But they admit that it doesn't stop you from getting it and getting certainly ill from it. So if you're telling me you have a drug that's 100% effective against mortality, why wouldn't you say don't take the shot that has all these risks that everyone admits even if you debate within the margins of how risky, but everyone agrees there is, why would you take it? Well, you say, no, a vaccine's better than a therapeutic because it prevents you from getting it. But no, you're admitting it doesn't. So you see the open lie that Pfizer is allowed to have their cake and eat it too. Oh, you have to take the vaccine, which is not a vaccine because it doesn't stop you from getting it. Oh, but here's a therapeutic that we say is even better than the vaccine. But take both. Take one, take two, take red, take blue. It's all good, whatever Pfizer wants. Pfizer is the new constitution. Whatever Pfizer wants, Pfizer gets. So that's the thing. Conservatives always buy into the next phase. Notice they're always late to the party. They're like a wind-up toy. I'm pro-life, I'm pro-gun. But what if those issues are not what matters at that moment? And it's new things. And you have to have a head on your shoulder. Skate to where the puck is, not to where it's been. But that brings me back to these governors. All they're doing is saying two things. They're announcing state workers don't have to get it. We're going to, you know, we're not enforcing it. Well, you might not be enforcing it. But that's meaningless because the feds are enforcing it. So if you don't counter the feds and prohibit it, the only way is if they're telling businesses, we're going to fine you, you must do it. You must do the opposite and say you must not do it. Here's what needs to happen. All the governors need to get together. Don't have one so you can get isolated. Do them all together and announce in 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 a statement of principles We are nullifying this. It is null and void. It is unconstitutional. Give the case against it. OSHA contradicts their own guidance. So many times they violate medical privacy. There's a provision there where they they basically have employers give employees information about other employees and their health status, their vaccine status. They violate every law of privacy imaginable. And then you would announce 
a carrot and a stick. Here's what you would do. Make it a felony for any company to share vaccination status with the feds. Make it a felony for them to require vaccination. Make a right to medical privacy and a carrot and a stick. If you if you follow the feds and disobey the state, you will be subject to cause of action in state court for vaccine injuries, which is OSHA's original guidance, by the way. That's a workplace injury. We're going to enforce OSHA's, even, even to this day, OSHA has it says that they're not enforcing their own law, that at least they have to record. Even if they're not liable, they have to record the injuries as workplace injury. We're going to require them to record it. Okay, so let's say whatever the fine is, millions of dollars you can collect in a lawsuit is going to be much greater than that. So that's going to tip the balance. But at the same time, offer them a carrot and say, if you join with us, we will pay the federal fine. Use the COVID funding to do that. And again, ban all sharing of information. Just uh, What I'm doing is I'm using the sanctuary state paradigm. New York passed a law making it a felony for any state official to share immigration information with the feds. If they can do it for illegal alien sex offenders, why the hell are red state governors not doing it for bare bones liberties of Americans? So that's the story with that. Now also, by the way, our other sponsor today, I did want to say is Seven Cells Telehealth. This is the pharmacy that will provide you with a prescription plus ivermectin and nitazoxanide. You can get it within the week if you um if you go online now, sevencells.com, that's S-E-V-E-N-C-E-L-L-S.com. And when you order, you could order 10, 20, 40, or 60 ivermectin capsules. Here's the thing. They're pegged to your weight. So depending on your weight, you're going to get 14, 16, even 20, if 22, 24, if you're a heavier guy, um, milligrams. So it's not the three milligrams. So you have to remember that the price, a lot of you are like, it's expensive. Yeah, but you're getting one pill a day. You don't have to take a bunch of those Eden Bridge three milligrams. So um, it winds up being 20% off. So $8 a pill with coupon Daniel. Make sure you put that in. Um, 20% off. Uh, and then you fill out a survey. You just upload your driver's license. It it worked. It took me five minutes. Um, a lot of you are asking me about um, you know, health issues. If you believe that your health issues should not preclude you from getting ivermectin, use your brain in terms of what you want to put down on the form. But from their end, they have to play by the book. And if you put down certain things, certain drugs that they feel they don't want to give ivermectin with that, then they'll deny you a prescription, right? They do have to follow the books. But if otherwise, they do it, they fill it, done. So it's both a prescription and a filling, a pharmacy, in one operation. It's the most synergistic way of efficiently getting ivermectin to the most people we can. Nidazoxanide is also even possibly even more safe than ivermectin and at least as effective. Um, Dr. Flavio has told me that uh, he's the nidazoxanide guy that did all the studies with uh, um, in Brazil he said he uses it there for kids, pregnant women, and breastfeeding women. I don't think Seven Cells is giving it out for them. Again, they're just always erring on the side of caution. Um, you can't blame them. But just so you know, again, use your brain. 
you know, keep in mind, anyone could get a prescription, and this is preemptive, even if you don't have the illness. So if you have multiple adults in your family, or if you have friends and other people, they could get more pills, and no one's going to know who dispenses what. But they, you know, this is a licensed pharmacy, and they have to follow the rules. So just, you know, and you're like, hey, you know, I want them to give to everyone no matter what, or, you know, look, they got to follow the rules, but they give you discrete shipping. Um, and again, we've gotten thousands of this into other homes. And I just want to say, if you guys feel that the India prices are cheaper and you're able to get it from there and you already have it or you have another place, stick with that. But if not and you're looking for a place to get it soon um, where you don't have to pay you know, $200 for a doctor telehealth, this is just $25 for the doctor part, and then the rest is the pharmacy cost, it's really, really a very good de deal. So again, 7cells.com, cells as in white blood cells, .com, promo code Daniel. Um, before we bring on our guests, just when we're talking about all these excuses of red states, I, I do want to say that, you know, one of the things everyone's forgetting is that our founding fathers never envisioned that the people would be so complacent. You know, they, they envision you could have a president that tries to become a king, but they always understood that the states and the people would just not let that fly. And, and the point they always made is that, yeah, there's no foolproof way of preventing someone from not following the Constitution. But if you would have a federal government that says, everyone has to wear a mask on their face or get jabbed in order to get a job, Right? The, the governors are just saying, like, dude, like, we're, no, it's not happening. Like Hamilton said in, in Federalist 33, it would just be a usurpation and treated as such. Not that I'd have to cry to the courts, oh, the supremacy clause. No, the federal laws are supreme if it's made in pursuance thereof of the Constitution. You know, in the um, North Carolina Ratification Convention, July 29, 1788, North Carolina was one of the latest states. And in fact, George Washington was already sworn in before they were um, uh, joined. They were very, very reluctant. They actually had two conventions, one in Fayetteville, one in Hillsborough. They initially rejected it in their first convention. And James Erdell, he was the um, you know top Federalist selling the Constitution in the state of North Carolina. He eventually became... Uh, one of the original Supreme Court justices appointed by George Washington in his first term. Um, very, very much uh, instrumental in drafting Article 3 of the Constitution. So James Erdell, he said, like, when they were saying, look, you know, they're going to crush the states, they're going to, you know, the president could be a king. He basically said, look, any creation of a nation state, there's going to be a risk of abuse and usurpation. But his point was, at the end of the day, it's not like there's like a mechanism. You go to a court or you go to like a veto. You can't veto an abuse of power. An abuse of power is nullification and a veto in and of itself. You have to ignore it. And his point was, the only resource against usurpation is the inherent right of the people to prevent its exercise. This is the case in all free governments in the world. And he predicted that the people will resist if the government usurps powers not delegated to it. So that's the question. How do we have areas in the country where it's like 70-30 Trump voters and super majorities in the legislature and they're like, we can't do anything about it. 
Tench Cox, he was one of the founders. He wrote about Article 4, Section 4. This is the guarantee clause where the government has to guarantee states two things, um, protection from invasion, which they've abrogated with the border, and a Republican form of government. What we have had for 19 months is antithetical to that. Not only is it tyranny abusing basic human rights, but it's being promulgated 100% for 19 months from executive agencies without Congress. Remember, they said when they talked about usurping, you know, ignoring usurpations, even Hamilton, who strongly supported federal federal government, that was it. They, they envisioned Congress passing that. Congress never passed such a thing. Do you know a fun fact? Not a single legislative body has passed the vaccine mandate. State or federal, it's all executive. But he said, he explained Article 4, Section 4 as follows. From thence it follows, meaning the guarantee clause, uh, that any man or body of men, however rich or powerful, who shall make an alteration in the form of government of any state, whereby the powers thereof shall be attempted to be taken out of the hands of the people at large, will stand guilty of high treason. Like, they just assume that people would just march them out, much less listen to it. This is the problem. So to continue this discussion of super red states that are just utterly, utterly complacent in pushing back even against the most radical things. I mean, we're talking about Biden's approval rating is like 10, 15 percent in some of these states. This issue is so unpopular. It's so easy to do. We're not asking super duper majority conservative states to I don't know, abolish the Great Society or something. There's a big issue. We're just saying, I mean, don't do the most recent iteration of the most radical, tyrannical, illogical, inhumane, immoral, and illegal acts of the federal government. Yet, even in the reddest states, we can't do it. The perfect example is Wyoming and our next guest, Representative Chuck Gray. Wyoming is a good case study. Probably the best. Why? Fun fact. Wyoming is the state where Trump had the greatest margin. Well, I don't know if it was the greatest margin of victory. It might have been, but he had the highest vote share. In other words, it was a tick under 70. It was like 69.5%. In other words, he did the best in, in Wyoming more than all 50 states. So this is the top red state in the traditional sense of how we gauge what is a red and blue state. Okay, I mean, we're talking about like 23% voted for Biden. They have a 28 to 2, 2 majority in the Senate and a 51 to 7 majority in the House of Representatives. So it was hard enough to get a special session. You got a special session to fight the vaccine mandate. And we have come out with not a single bill. They adjourned and couldn't pass a bill. Unbelievable. But something interesting happened in between now, the man who spearheaded the special session is always like, you know, if there's anything good going on in that legislature, he's behind it. Representative Chuck Gray, he's representative, represented Wyoming's 57th House District, roughly the Casper area since January 2017. He originally uh, was the first viable candidate to run against Liz Cheney when it wasn't popular. Then someone else got in who was a rhino, and Trump, of course, endorsed the rhino, so Chuck got out. Hopefully, he will run for bigger and better things. Chuck, thank you so much for joining Blaze Media today. 
Thanks, Daniel. Appreciate you having me on the show. Really well, appreciate we appreciate it. what you're doing, and I really wanted to get you on for a while because you, as a person, as a legislator, and the environment you're in is exactly the paradigm for which I created Constitution Action Network, uh, which is the grassroots for my, my own show, to say, wait a minute, there's so much garbage going on in super-duper red state legislators that are, you know, there's so much potential we could be doing, but people don't know the bad stuff. They don't know all these pro-gun, pro-life, supposedly Republicans, all the bad things they're doing to betray their confidence. They don't know the good things that the good guys are trying to get past but are being blocked. And if we can only elicit some sort of movement that will focus like a laser beam on the legislature and on the primaries, there's a lot more we can do. So I want you to give an insider's view of this. So let's start more specifically with what happened this past week. What happened last week? Give us an overview of what happened in the legislature. Well, we get to the special session, Daniel, and first of all, we wanted to pass some rules, and that failed. Those rules would have allowed us to have it wouldn't have been expedited review, but because we were only considering three bills, it would have allowed us uh, to go through this process in three to four days. Each house considered the bills at the same time so that we could get this done before uh, a banner health deadline that had gone – that was going to go into effect November 1. They put their own mandate into place, really troubling, and that's one of the reasons we went into special session. This is going to affect healthcare facilities across our state, this vaccine mandate. So that's part of why we went into special session. So anyway, we didn't get the rules done. Then we proceed to the bills and the employer mandate bill, the ban on employer mandates that we were trying to get done, started over in the House. Wednesday, we passed in the morning. A good standing committee amendment. It went to the Minerals Business Economic Development Committee, of which I'm a member. We got some pretty good amendments there. Then in the afternoon, this group of insiders with the Democrats immediately starts bringing in amendments to try to weaken the bill. A couple pass in the afternoon on Wednesday. Then we proceed on Thursday to second reading. Same thing in the morning. This coalition of the insiders and, and the Democrats bring amendments trying to weaken this bill. A couple of them pass. Then we get to the afternoon. We filed a number of amendments on second reading, conservatives, to try to push back on these efforts because this bill was being chipped away at for a day and a half with voice votes, Daniel. They're not even on the record. So I brought amendment in the afternoon that would clarify because there was this ridiculous provision in the bill that if the mandate ever went into effect federally, the ban in state statute would just go away, which is conceding defeat, Daniel. There, there's no reason yeah. for us to do that. So they oppose it, Biden's mandate unless he mandates it and then they can do it. Right. <laughs> that that was the provision there. And keep in mind, this was last week before the mandate it hadn't even gone into it hadn't even been announced yet. I mean, you had the speech, but you didn't have the the notice for rules either. So it's conceding defeat. I mean, if anything, the federal government can use that against us in federal court. Sure. And we're even further behind 
with that provision. So I brought an amendment to just delete the provision and to go the direction that Tennessee and Iowa went, which is that uh, they're not going to concede the federal preemption on something that is clearly unconstitutional, Daniel. It's, it's outside yep. the enumerated powers. It's an unconstitutional delegation of congressional authority. I and mean, we go on that on for that forever. So all I wanted to do was delete this concession on federal preemption, saying that the federal government would preempt on this issue. And we got into a whole debate. The debate got chippy. I brought up sanctuary cities, the fact that uh, in Colorado, the left, they decide to preempt federal law and they get away with it. Yep. And then you have a rule that is clearly unconstitutional, but this coalition of the insiders and the Democrats says, oh, no, uh, there's no way that we could try to preempt federal law. That, that's what they say. So I brought up sanctuary cities, that comparison was called out of order, which is ridiculous, right? I mean, it's clearly on the question of the amendment and and how twisted this is going. <laughs> so it was already getting chippy. Then I called for a recorded vote because I was getting tired of these amendments passing on voice votes. That is wrong. Everybody should be on the record on what they do. And, that, and then Representative Harshman, he used to be Speaker of the House, he was participating over Zoom, which our rules allow, and uh, let out a, a series of expletives uh, with my name attached to it, and his mic was on, and that was sort of the context for the comments. And it just shows you whenever conservatives call for accountability in that House yes. chamber, the way this coalition of the insiders and the Democrats react, that that's the – that's sort of, I think, the because lesson. Because you were going to shed sunlight on it because what you're saying is let, – let me just zoom zoom out a little bit. Steve Harshman is actually from the same part of the state as you are, the Casper area. Right. And, it's, and it's fascinating. And th th this is the thing. Like it's not even a liberal area. Um, th th this county that the two of you are in was carried by Trump by f a 48-point margin. So on the one hand, you have a Steve Harshman, the former Speaker of the House, who – Everyone was focused on who he dropped the f bomb on Chuck Gray, but it wasn't so much the profanity that's the issue. It's the broader context is that so visceral is their hatred against pushing back against Biden's immoral order, and you having a recorded vote on it that he was willing to drop the f bomb. That that's the bigger context there. Not so much like the the soap opera part of it, but just how. But like a Wyoming, a former Wyoming speaker in a supermajority in a state where Biden likely has a 15 percent approval rating when he is literally doing something that when our founders talked about federal tyranny, they couldn't have even envisioned this. Like you could literally give a, say the federal government could mandate hemlock and it'll be like, there's nothing we can do. I want to read to our audience a little bit from the Wyoming um, Declaration of Rights, which is Article one of their constitution, your constitution. All power is inherent in the people, and all free governments are founded on their authority, instituted for their peace, safety, and happiness. For the advancement of these ends, they have at all times an inalienable and an inde indefeasible right to alter, reform, or abolish the government in such manner as they think proper. This is in almost every state declaration of rights. You have a right to abolish the government, and 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 it, 
over what? They thought like over unfair taxation or something. Over injecting in someone's bodies and forcibly masking and forcibly uh, making them submit to a medical exam and testing. I mean, this is the bare bones life, liberty, property. Um, and we're not even calling for an alteration or abolishment. We're just saying to take a legitimate institution that's closest to the people and represents the supermajority of the people there to push back. You go on and, you know, it is an article two. It is an inherent right to life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. All members of the human race are equal. It's very much in the um, Wyoming Constitution, as you well know, you're called the equality state. They're creating a medical apartheid between whether someone gets the shot or doesn't. You go on to section six. Um, no person shall be deprived of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. Um, you know, Article 7, absolute arbitrary power over the lives, liberty, and property of free men exists nowhere in a republic, not even in the largest majority. So you can't have a majority of people get together in an executive and have arbitrary power. Where is this? What is going on? So sorry for that tangent, but back to you, Chuck. Um, could you tell the audience... Explain to us this. We're very confused. How do you have in a Trump plus 48 county a representative like you and a representative like Steve Harshman? Well, first of all, Steve has been in the state legislature. He's the longest serving member. He's been there since I think 2002, 2001. Might even be 2001. I might have been elected in 2000. So he's the longest serving member. What happens is people run in, in the Republican primary and, and there isn't enough discussion, I think, on the issues. It becomes too much about personality and background and there isn't enough on the substantive issues yep. that – that define what it means to be a conservative. And, and that's how you get varying, varying results is that these campaigns, there's not enough discussion that's occurring in the primary about the differences. The fact that there's an insider perspective on these issues that is totally out of touch of where the grassroots majority is, but that's not even really discussed. And the insider media, they want people to believe here. I call them the Red Star Tribune, Pravda on the Plat, uh, one of the newspapers, and the Tribune Eagle is another one. Yeah. They, they, they want people to believe that they're different from the national print media. No, they use the same tactics, the same strategies. Uh, they've, they've gone after me since I've started in, in, in Wyoming in the state legislature running in the state legislature, and they're all on board with this coalition of the insiders and, and the radical left. So that, that's part of how uh, this so happens. Let me, let me ask you if you agree with this supposition. Isn't it not a fact that, isn't it a fact that the seven freaking Democrats in your chamber and the two on the Senate side are more powerful than, for example, New Jersey Democrats in the sense that New Jersey Democrats are finally getting a run for their money. They still have control, but it's much narrowed. And they're now like on notice that if they keep up the COVID fascism, they're only, I believe, two seats away from possibly losing the Senate. So there's 
conceivably some sort of check on their behavior. Whereas you go to Wyoming and the, those Democrats are the most powerful Democrats in the country because they get to represent, you know, the special interests, which are just as radical and elite and destructive in Wyoming as they are in any other state like California, right? The hospital systems, the chamber of commerce, whatever it is. But they have those policies embodied through a Republican rhino majority. So the voters, like, what they have nowhere to turn. It's not like, oh, so I'm going to vote for the, well, who? Who are you going to vote for? Now, obviously, the answer is the primaries, but and that's something we got to work on. Is that is that what we're seeing in, in super red states like Wyoming? It is amazing, Daniel, but what you lay out is some of the results that we're getting. I mean, it took me – we finally got voter ID done last year. It took us – I filed that bill three times in a row, finally got that done in early 2021. But the fact that – we were not able to pass a bill to push back on these vaccine mandates when our people, our conservative people, are demanding it. What Banner Health did, just so wrong. Now, the Biden mandate, coincidentally, the day after we go into session is when they release the quote-unquote OSHA rule. The only thing we got done in the special session, Daniel— and I don't regret us going into session. We, we have to do all we can to work uh, for our people, for our constituents. But the only thing we got done, and this is kind of where we're at as a legislature, the only thing the legislature passed was a appropriation of funds for the attorney general to pursue litigation against the federal government, which they could do anyway. We didn't even need to go into special session. For them to have this yeah. this ability, and please so that cry was to sort the courts of the... for us. Please cry exactly. to the courts for us. The same courts that have screwed us on every litigation so far. That's all they did. That was the bill they passed. Um, unbelievable. Let me ask you this. Um, in your opinion, is there a need to put more money into the legislature? Meaning, as much as we're always against spending more money. But if we're going to have the departments of health and departments of education, the executive branch in each state, completely legislate, you know, 365 days a year, 24-7, we're going to have billions of dollars, even in a state like Wyoming, you're going to have more money from the federal COVID funds than your entire state budget be funneled directly through the state agencies without much save from the legislature. So with money, you could direct policy. We literally have an oligarchy. We don't have a representative Republic and you have, do you even have a staffer or is there like one staffer per three, four members? How does that work? Well, in, in Wyoming, we, we pull the staff, so everybody has a. There's about 30 members. It's called the Legislative Service Office, mm-hmm. and and so there's about six, seven attorneys for drafting, and and everybody has access to those six for drafting. Seven but what about policy advisors, communications? Nothing, right? No, there's there's really. I mean, there's two people there. I I do most of my press releases, which which I'm okay with. You know, things and, and like that's that. Fine. And, and that's fine. And I think and I think there's authenticity. Authenticity. Don't get me wrong. I'm not trying to be like one of those that wants largesse. But what what I'm what I'm, the problem that I'm finding, and I want to know if you agree with me or or am I off track? And maybe there's a better solution. But if you have what what happens is take COVID. It's super technical. 
you have to know a lot about the shots. You have to know about the trajectory of the virus. You have to know about the nature of other therapeutics. And there's a lot going on. So they come in and the establishment, the Department of Health, the governor, they'll bring down all their big government guys and the, and the, and the lab coat guys and, and the doctors who are nothing more than like shills and lobbyists come down and they'll say with confidence, this is what we need to do. And I'm finding there's a, a middle ground of a legislator that knows it's kind of off, but they don't feel comfortable standing up against the Leviathan. They just don't feel they have enough intellectual ammo. They need research staff. They need like you have in Congress and they don't have. And my problem is they pride themselves on being, oh, I'm a part-time legislator. But, but that's working against us. That was when the legislator legislated and the executive branch didn't and the federal government didn't funnel billions of dollars to them and the courts didn't legislate. But now that they all legislate and the, and the, the, the legislator is the only voice of the people, right? It's the only voice of the people. So the longer they're in session, it, the better it is for us because that's the more we can hang out a legislation and build support for something or support against something to fight it, the better. The quicker you have these lightning strike, like, you know, you're in session for, for five minutes a year. And then even if you get a special session, it's lightning quick. The people, it's dominated by the special interest. The people have no time to react. Don't we need longer sessions or at least potential to get into session easier and, and maybe more of a, a, a budget? What, what I do think is we need a very active legislative branch. I was just talking with someone about this yesterday that in the wake of, of what the federal government is doing and also all this money that is being sent to the states, the legislature has abrogated the authority for expenditure to the executive branch, even the appropriation authority, which is the one thing yeah. that – Maybe the legislative branch has, has somewhat protected, but really that's gone out the door the that's last year the and a half, Daniel, because there, there really is no bounds right now on the governor spending these federal COVID funds. And you look at the scale in comparison to the general fund budget of these federal COVID funds. Could you give us a sense of the numbers in Wyoming? Well, it's about two and a half times. I mean, the, 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 the general fund, when you look <laughs> at these COVID funds. And we did go into special session in 2020 to put some caps on the governor, but it really ended up being uh, very, very little. So two and a half. I was times. just talking with someone about this that, that I do think we need to consider, yes, going into session. Daniel, on the other side, I mean, some people say, well, Bad things can happen. Not really. I see. I disagree with those conservatives because we're as bad as we can get. Well, Daniel, I'm more with you. I think we need to assert legislative authority. And yes, we'll need to fight the bad stuff. I mean, every single time we go into session, they just did it last week, Daniel. The the left files Medicaid expansion, and that passed the House in the general session. First time it's ever passed the House. Now the Senate stopped it. So. Many of the insiders that used to vote with us on Medicaid expansion have have changed, and and it did pass the House. So many people get nervous whenever we go in, yeah, even if for a good, even if it's for a good reason. But but yeah. my response is we have to we have to continue defeating it. We've defeated I'm, I'm, it. I'm sick of I'm sick of those session. arguments. I'm sick of those no, arguments. Exactly They're because defeatists. Defeatists. they already have a legislative session. It's called 
Biden. It's called Gordon. It's called the state and federal department of health. It's called the courts. They let they, I mean, in other words, why I understand it's possible, but generally speaking, why would they incur the risk of a public vote and an open process when they could get it done unilaterally that, that anything they want, they're already doing executively. This is the thing. So our only choice is to be in session. I mean, I'm not saying you need to be there in the Capitol, you know, 24-7, 365, but you need the ability to swiftly get there when there's bad stuff going on. And I think there should be some sort of oversight process that does occur throughout the year, that even if you're not actively legislating, although certainly you should have that prerogative to when you need to, but you need oversight. Like you said, forget about the bills. We're talking a lot about legislation. Do this for the doctors, do this for early treatment, do this for medical privacy and, 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 the, and the mandates, the mask, whatever. But then there's the appropriations. We're spending more than your state's budget on crap, on, on remdesivir, on clot shots, on masks, on, on, on contact tracing, on stuff that the Department of Health is doing that doesn't work and harms the people instead of on treatment ki- kits and, and uh, making, making this stuff available to people therapeutics that work you know what i'm saying like like it's not even a right or left issue and the arguments we're making are facially neutral it's not right or left it's like shouldn't the power flow from the people through their elected representatives i mean how do you have the most important issues and the largest expenditures yeah that 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 kind of needs to be done executively no those are the things that 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 need all out you know legislative authority chuck what's your sense of, you know, you're headed into a session, what, in January? February is the budget session next year. Oh, the so budget about session. three months from oh, now. Oh, so you're not allowed to bring up legislation, let me guess. Only budget. You can, you can, but you have to get a two-thirds majority in the House of Origin, which is very difficult. Oh, I good, see. So if conservative Biden, stuff. If Biden declares martial law... And we need to fight back in the well. Oh, it's, it's only a budgetary session. See, th- these limitations need to go away. But here's my question to you: I've set up a Wyoming Strike Force team, and folks, if you want to sign up, go to conaction.network, and it will go to our team uh, leader. Um, we have a team leader there, and we're very proud. We're getting off, you know, basically getting off the ground. What is your advice? What are some of the things that they could do in the community, in oversight, policy, comms, strategy that you think would be the most helpful to where you sit? Grassroots activism is pivotal. Focusing on those issues and mobilizing and, and, and getting out there and saying, look, this is what's going on and this is wrong. Or if something good happens, this is right. And saying that, making that clear, so it, it's it's clear to it's we need to have that grassroots movement continue to have that. I mean, you look at Reagan, right? He he called his political action committee Citizens for Reagan because he knew it was a active citizenry that was going to bring back our country, and I believe that through and through. And so I, I really believe in grassroots activism and accountability. Yes. Going through the digest, seeing where members are at. It's it's on there for the last 20 years and then at the state library beyond that. 
beyond 2,000, every single vote that was recorded. Now, yes, there are the the voice votes. The standing votes now are – some of them are on YouTube. It's amazing. There's a camera in our in our chamber, but it only – it obstructs half the chamber. So you can see like half the people, how they vote on the standing votes. But the recorded votes are all there. And one of the things that happens that I, I get a little troubled by, we go into general session and there's discussion on the bills, how, how some of them are bad, how some of them are good. And then the vote happens and there's really no discussion about it afterwards where uh, many people went wrong. And there has to be that accountability there. Yes. So that's that's pivotal. And, and that begins uh, with HB 1001. Guys, if you go to Legiscan, Wyoming, Google Legiscan, Wyoming, and find HB 1001, you click on the bill and you'll go to votes. It has a section there for votes. And you'll find the only amendment that had a recorded vote because Chuck required it um, was his amendment, Chuck Ray amendment. And you click on it. That, again, this is the amendment. Do you believe that human rights and state sovereignty should be subject to an executive order on your body from the federal government. In the freaking state of Wyoming, 51 Republicans. Chuck, how many Republicans voted with you out of 51? 18. 18. 18. Well, 17, I guess, 18 including you. Um, that is insane. To me, like, you know, people, we have disagreements, this and that, but that this is so fundamental. To me, the th- other 30-whatever, three or so Republicans, check it out there. Every one of them needs to be thrown out of office. Every one of them needs to be thrown out. We always hear every year, oh, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And they always say it about the general election, and it never is. I will say the state and local Republican primaries coming up are truly the most important elections of our lifetime because we've never had so many cathartic moments as we have the last two years. And if after all that, we're going to continue to just rubber stamp the same nominations for the same rhinos in every primary, we're done. Then it's never going to change. This is our chance. Um, This is where it's at. Okay, Chuck, final question. Um, Not if. When are you running for governor? (laughs) Thank you, Daniel. I I really appreciate that. There's been a lot of people – uh, discussing that, I, I'm going to make a decision by the end of the year. Uh, it, I am so disappointed, disturbed. It, it is so wrong the way this governor, Mark Gordon, has acted during his term in office. It has been weakness from the start. Back, you go back to 2019 when I brought a bill on uh, the coal export issue. State of Washington has been blocking our coal exports. This would be thousands of jobs, Daniel, for our state. And we can't get an export terminal through the west coast of the United States. I mean, it's Oregon and California, too. We can't cite a terminal. Thousands of jobs for our state. And he vetoes this bill and says that he can do it on his own and, and uh, try to try to get a Supreme Court, to, the Supreme Court to get involved. <laughs> he waited too long. And then... After the Trump administration was doing all they can to get this cited, now we have Biden. They're not going to do anything on this. So 
from the start, it has been about running out the clock. I mean, that's just one example yep. of his weakness on spending, increasing taxes, spending and, and not getting that under control. We have a huge spending problem. The insiders want to make it out to be – they say they want to call it a revenue problem, Daniel, and increase taxes in our state. We have the, the lowest taxes in the union on people. But if you include all the severance taxes from oil and gas, the state of Wyoming has the second highest per capita revenues in the nation. And they want to raise taxes. I mean, we got budget issues. That that's totally wrong. Medicaid expansion. They keep pushing the governor. You know, it's funny suddenly- with Medicaid expansion. Your governor. I, I wanted to comment. You mentioned that before. So these same people that are like, it's free market. They're like, we have to respect the free market. You can't ban employers from requiring a vaccine when they're requiring it because the federal government is mandating that they must do it. And you're using this as a tool to just bring back the equilibrium of free market. It's funny when it comes to Medicaid and all the welfare, they're not so into free market. It's very interesting how they, exactly. you know, they they choose. Uh, you know, it, it's it's always whatever the system wants, the system gets. So, you know, th- this is the thing. Mark Gordon, no one's ever heard. I bet no one on the show has ever heard of him. Um, he's been in the witness protection program. Um, and and I'd, I'd say this to Governor Gordon, if you're listening. I mean, Governor, I respect you, but if if you believe that the courts are the final arbiter and the courts have your cojones. Then, then resign. I mean, don't be governor or, or run for a state or federal court position um, under the next uh, rhino president or whatever. But there's no purpose to being a governor. If you're a state legislator, I'm like, you know what? I like being three minutes in the chair. Well, if you want to be part-time while we have a full-time legislator in at OSHA and the State Department of Health and the state and federal courts, then don't be a legislator. But I mean... It's time to make red states red again and state legislators um, great again. Uh, That is the thing. That is our only avenue. We're locked out of the feds. We're locked out of the courts. We're locked out of the bureaucracies. We're locked out of the health associations. We're locked out of the business associations. We have nothing left. The people represented at a local level in the reddest parts of the country is our only avenue to even possibly get on the map. That's why there is so much more benefit to us than the bad guys in expanding sessions, making it easier to vote on legislation, just because the other side already has that ability to do it without the more, more somewhat more accountability that comes with the legislative process and a public vote. Um, Chuck, final word from you, and then uh, we'll wrap it up here. Well, Daniel, want to thank you for having me on the show. It means a ton. You can uh, – I'm on Facebook. I'm on Twitter, Chuck for, at Chuck for Wyoming on Twitter, uh, Chuck Gray on Facebook. Please uh, follow me there and I post updates on what's going on in the legislative branch in the state of Wyoming. And we really need to have uh, a strong grassroots conservatism in the state of Wyoming that is reflected in the actions uh, of the state legislature and the executive branch in the governor's office as well. And uh, Governor Mark Gordon, he has just been so, so, so disappointing, so weak. And uh, we really need to, to have a strong grassroots conservatism uh, in, our, in our state because what Biden is doing 
is totally inconsistent with our constitution, totally inconsistent with our values, and we got to stop it. We've got to push back on it. That was the point of us going into session, passing a strong state statute, taking a strong stand, and uh, there was this coalition of the insiders and the Democrats that just stopped it for uh, stopped it in its tracks. It was really disappointing, but we're going to continue to work hard. Thank you, Daniel, for having me on. Well said, and folks, we are way out of time. Send me your comments, questions, and concerns to dharowitz at blazemedia.com. Till Monday, God bless you all, and thank you for listening.